day for us to be studying this passage because these are going to be Paul's kind of last words to his elders, to the elders of the church of Ephesus, before he heads off to Jerusalem. Now, it's important for us to understand that, that these last words are important last words. They're, the parting words are not throwaway words. They're not uh, meaningless words. They're very meaningful. They're, they're filled uh, with purpose and, and meaning. When, when Tar and I go out on a date, which happens from time to time, not, not all the time, but what, what happens is that we, uh, we call on our oldest son, Alex, to watch the kids. He's at that age now where he can spend time with the kids, where he can kind of make sure everyone's safe and in one piece when we come home. And, and, and so uh, before we go, we share some last words with him. Be, before we leave the house, we say, hey, Alex, you're in charge. Alex... Uh, make sure you actually give your brother and sister dinner. Alex, if there's an emergency, here's who you call. Alex, uh, we may be home after bedtime, so make sure that, that the kids are in bed and asleep uh, before we get home, which never happens. But, but that's besides the point. What, what is the point is that these words that we share with him before we walk out the door and go on our date are important words. They're meaningful. They're not just like, hey, have a good time. We'll see you later. They're meaningful. They're filled with purpose and, and meaning. And so for Paul, who just spent the better part of three years with these believers in Ephesus, he's got this opportunity now to share some, some last words with them. And they're not throwaway words. They're not meaningless words. Here, here in Acts 20, Paul's in the midst of uh, traveling to Jerusalem for what the Holy Spirit has told him will be a time where he'll face great affliction and possibly or probably imprisonment as he preaches the Gospels. He tells the people about Jesus. This is not going to be some quick vacation for Paul. He knows, he knows that this is, this is at least a goodbye for now for, uh, with his friends there in Ephesus. And so he's got some important things to say. And so if you look in Acts 19 and verse 17, it says that his, his ship comes up to a little village called Miletus, and there he calls the elders of the church in Ephesus, these, these leaders that he's been pouring into, he calls them to him. And after reminding them of his ministry and his message and his love for them, he shares with them some very important words, some encouraging words that we're going to look at together this morning. Here's the thing, church. My hope for us today is that by the end of our time in our passage, we'll also be encouraged by Paul's words. That, that, that these won't be Paul's words that he spoke to a particular group of people at a particular point in history, but that these are Paul's words to us, to you and to I as we, as we prepare to enter into a, a season of renewal together as a church. You know, over the next three months, we're going to be blessed to be led in worship by a number of leaders here in our church. We're going to be led into God's word by various elders in our church and leaders in our church, as well as leaders from our area in the ministry and, and missionaries from around the globe. And, and, and our anchor in all of this Kind of the, the foundation, the, the, the root of what's going to hold us together as we march through these next few months, as we come before God and ask him to renew us, to, to reinvigorate our passion for the gospel that he's called us to preach and proclaim here in Fairfield. Our, our root, the, the thing that, that will anchor us in all of this in the next few months, will be the word of God, which is what Paul reminds the elders about at Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 20. 
We're going to be looking at a, a, a handful of verses right in the middle of the chapter, picking up in verse 28, and I'll read through to verse 32. Go ahead and follow along as I read the passage for us. Paul says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let me give thanks for God's word. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Your word is timeless. Your word is just as meaningful and applicable now as it was when it was when it, when it first happened, and even in those days after when Luke recorded them for us to read many years later. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. May, may your word take root in us this morning. The word that you've given uh, and recorded by, Paul, by Luke's hand in Acts chapter 20, may it take root in our lives. Transform us from the inside out, we pray. By your Holy, Holy Spirit's strength, and power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we need encouragement, and not just like, hey, you can do it, encouragement. We need encouragement that gives us wisdom and guidance and direction. And the very first encouragement that Paul gives us in this passage this morning actually is in the very first line of, of, of our passage that we read together. And Paul's encouragement is that we would make the care of our own soul a priority. There's a dynamic in the church family where we show up on Sunday morning wanting to be encouraged by God's word, wanting to be challenged, wanting to be give, given confidence that we're, we're heading in the right direction. But oftentimes we translate that word first and foremost through the lenses of our own lives. But there's also a dynamic that God's word speaks into, and that is into the, the body of Christ, the people of God as they are together. And yet here we're reminded that it begins as Paul challenges and encourages elders to pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, you may say, well, yes, Paul's talking to the elders of the church here, not talking to the whole church. He's talking to the elders. He's telling a, a small group of people to, to, to pay attention to themselves. And yeah, that's true. But I will also say this, and I would encourage us to pay attention to this, because what's true for the elders is true for the rest of the church. Right? The, the elders, the, the leaders in the congregation, the leaders in the faith community, they're not above the congregation. They're, they're not some spiritually elite group of people that are meant to, to oversee and to, 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 to lead the congregation from above the congregation. They're members of the congregation. They're a part of the flock. The, the, what's true for the elders is true for the rest of the church. Now, see, the elders and the overseers were meant to be leaders of the faith community. I realize when I say that word elders, we have a certain picture in our mind because here at Trinity, we're led by a group of elders that, that gather, that 
pray, that, that plan, that, that, that try to discern God's wisdom for the direction of our church, but also to care for, uh, and, and help support the leaders of our church and to see that the gospel ministry goes forth. So when I say elders, I, I think you probably have a certain picture in mind of who I'm talking about. But, but what I would encourage you to think about is step back from that idea, that understanding of elders for us this morning. Because when, when Luke records this, there is an understanding that the elders and the overseers were leaders in the faith community. It might have looked a little bit different than what it looks like today in our church context. Be, even before Jesus establishes his church, the, the, the New Testament church, there is an understanding of elders within a community of faith. And, and they were meant to, to guard and to guide, to oversee and to administrate the, the matters of the, the community. See, Paul uses two different Greek words here, and they're the words that we get uh, bishop from and, and presbytery from. They're, they're, they're words which I think our Bible uses interchangeably to refer to these leaders in the church. But, but in uh, our kind of contemporary context, or I should say, as church history unfolded, this idea of elder and overseer, of bishop and presbytery, became to be associated with positions of high authority. These, these offices of high authority that, that, that are kind of decentralized from the local church context to be kind of uh, leaders who, who have, who have given authority, been given authority and power over a region of, of gatherers uh, within certain denominations, I should say. Maybe not within Converge and, and the Baptist denomination, but, but within other denominations. But, but here's the thing, more than the, the lofty offices of authority and decision-making and, and, and the centralized governing of the body, what I want us to see is that Paul's view of a healthy leader looked less like one of these high and lofty positions of, of, of kind of being separated from the flock and more like, more like a shepherd caring for a flock of sheep. See, shepherds are meant to, to protect their sheep from outside dangers like wolves. Shepherds are, are meant to lead their sheep to, to pastures of, 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 of green grass and, and, and quiet waters, cool waters. Shepherds find shelter for their sheep and they guide them there and make sure that they're settled down for the night. See, an, an elder and an overseer is a shepherd. But, but he's also a sheep. A shepherd is also a sheep who smells like sheep and lives like a sheep because a shepherd lives among the sheep, right? And so what's true for the elder is true for the congregation. And the way that the shepherd leads is by example. And in that case, then, it should be said that as the shepherd goes... So goes the sheep. If the shepherd is, is, is healthy, then that health is passed on to the rest of the congregation. If an elder and an overseer wants to lead in a healthy community, then they need to make the care of their own soul, the health of their own soul, a priority. And Paul knew that, that their own spiritual health and well-being had to be a priority. Why? Because in our passage, he says, fierce wolves and other kinds of leaders will come into the community at Ephesus and try to lead believers astray. 
that, that there will be people from outside the community as well as people from within the community who will not be healthy leaders, who will be guided by selfish intentions, desiring selfish goals, wanting to garner followers after themselves, and so they will, they, they will lead the sheep astray. They will teach and preach a doctrine that is not the gospel. They will teach truths that are not of God, that were not given to them through their Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul knew this. He knew the, the need for the church to have healthy leaders, and not just healthy leaders at the top, because if it's true for the elders, it's true for the rest of the congregation, that the community itself would be filled with people with health, healthy souls. In a later letter that Paul writes to Timothy when he's leading in Ephesus, he tells, he tells Timothy to instruct the leaders in the church not to teach any different truths from the gospel, not, not to devote themselves to the silly myths and genealogies, right? I mean, we looked at these passages earlier in the year. And so what, what Paul's writing to Timothy about was actually unfolding these words that, oh, sorry, these words that he was anticipating in, in Acts chapter 20 actually started to unfold in First Timothy, and Paul has to write to the church in Ephesus to, to write to Timothy, his leader, his, an, an elder in the church, to say, hey, you got to be careful. you got to raise up leaders who are not tempted to, to, to devote themselves to these silly myths and genealogies and, and are not tempted to teach any truth different from the gospel. See, Paul, Paul anticipated and knew that the church was in need of healthy spiritual leaders. And not just healthy spiritual leaders like the ones that kind of sit above a group and kind of govern down, but, but the sort of leaders that, that live among the, the sheep, who, who walk beside them, who encourage them, who, who spend time with them. So as Paul was departing from Ephesus and heading to Jerusalem, he was concerned, and he wanted to encourage the elders, not that they were doing something wrong, mind you, but say, hey, as I go, I just want to make sure you know. I want to make sure you remember that there are some things that you need to attend to, to guard yourselves, and, and, and you guys need to be healthy. Healthy, not making sure you go to the gym to work out every day, although that's healthy, but healthy in your soul. And this health begins with paying careful attention to yourselves. Church, as we head into these next few months, <clears throat> I've determined to make the care of my soul a priority. But this season of renewal is not just for me. It's for all of us. This is something that God is doing in us and among us. And so my desire, my invitation, my encouragement is to ask you to join me in making that a priority. Maybe just post Paul's encouragement to, to pay careful attention to yourselves somewhere around your house. You know, put it up in your office, post it in your car, put it on your bedside table, put it on the mirror in the bathroom, whatever you need to do. Maybe, maybe just take time every day to, 
to interview yourself, to interview the Lord. Ask yourself, where, where have you noticed God most clearly today? Because I'll tell you what, if you can notice where God is at work in your life, you can notice two things. You can notice maybe things that he's trying to prune from your life, but you can also notice those things that he's wanting to cultivate and grow in your life. And we live in a day and age that gives us very little margin in our lives to pay attention to things like this. We are busy, busy, busy. We work until from dusk to dawn. And the time we leave to ask God these questions is usually those, those moments where we're falling asleep in the middle of the question. I know I do it. I know you all work hard. I know, I, I know something of the lives that you guys lead. So I, I'm confident that you do it too. So take the time to ask God. Ask yourself, where have you noticed God most clearly in your day? Ask yourself, where have I noticed God's nearness to me? Maybe, maybe you, wanna, you feel more comfortable asking the Lord and interviewing him. Ask, go ahead, ask the Lord to search your heart, to reveal to you those places that he wants to work in you, those places he wants to prune or to cultivate. Ask the Lord to search your heart and to lead you in his ways. It's scriptural, right? The psalmist writes about it. David writes about it. Church, in other words, I'm asking us to begin this season of renewal together by prioritizing our own hearts and our own prayer life. This is, this is not an invitation towards selfishness mind you, right? Because the story doesn't end there. It, it's, it's an invitation to make the priority, the, the care of your own soul a priority, right? One of my favorite passages that, that show where Jesus did just this is in Mark chapter 1. I mean, the very front of the gospel, the very, the very beginning of Mark's unpacking of Jesus' story. He, he tells a story, uh, this, pa- this time where Jesus is minister- ministering in Capernaum. And, and listen to what he does starting in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, I don't know when the last time was that the whole city gathered at your front door. But I think we were given the picture that Jesus was a busy man, right? This was not just, hey, I've got a punch list of three things to do, and then I can rest and relax. I mean... I, I've got to imagine that this is one of those moments where people just kept coming and coming and coming. A, at the very least, it, it kept him pretty busy, right? But what he does next is very telling to me. See, I think what we see next is the key to Jesus' self-care and soul care. I mean, we're going to see this in a minute, but, but I, I want you to notice the very first parts of Jesus' self-care plan doesn't involve eating a big meal or crashing on his couch and watching Netflix or, or maybe some retail therapy. No. Look what he does in verse 30, 35 with me. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. 
And there he prayed. See, church, I, I think that the, the, the healthy soul care that God wants for us is counterintuitive to the culture of this world, right? Where the world says, finish this project first, tie up these loose ends, work hard, be fruitful and effective. Jesus says there's a time to step away. There's a time to devote to the Father. See, I think Jesus paid careful attention to himself. And, and here's the thing. Out of the abundance of his time with the Father, right? Out of the overflow of what Jesus did in his heart, or what, what the Father did in his heart as Jesus spent time with the Father, comes vision and confidence and direction. Because in the verses that follow, when, when the crowds come looking for Jesus again and say, hey, there's more sick people, more people who are demon-possessed that need to be healed, more things that need to be done, Jesus says, I'm sorry. My, my ministry here needs to be put on hold because I need to move on to the next town, the next village. The Father has given me another place to go to. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that would be a hard decision for me. To be faced with a need and, and, and to have to say no to that need because I've been given different marching orders. That's hard. I, maybe not hard for all of us, but at least hard for some of us to say no to a presenting need right in front of you and move on to some other need that's down the road. right? But Jesus was able is able to see that he's been sent with a purpose. That the Father is doing something in and through him. And he's only able to hear that over and above the, the noise of the crowds because he has taken that time to step away, to be with the Father, to give priority to the care of his own soul rather than the care of the needs of the crowds and the masses. Church, I hope we can see it's only when we make the care of our own soul a priority that we'll be any good to those around us. Hear me say this. Christianity is not just about me. It's not, oh, good, God, thank you for all that you did for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's not what Christianity is about. That's part of the journey, is recognizing how good God is and how amazing he is at doing a work in our lives. But he's doing that work in your life for a purpose. He has given you graciously his love and forgiveness, his equipping for a purpose. And so being a Christ follower doesn't just stop with the care of our own soul. It's not just about caring for ourselves. It's also, or I should say, it's, it's caring for our soul so that you can be a benefit and a, a, a be of benefit and care to the rest of the congregation, to those who have yet to hear the message of God's good news through Jesus Christ. So when Paul tells the elders to, to pay attention to themselves, he also tells them to pay attention to the whole flock. Right? In a letter Paul writes, to believers in Philippi, he includes this, this hymn about the, the Christian life, 
right? And, and this hymn that he includes is, is meant to be a picture of the Christian life where we, we live in response to Jesus. Jesus, who has gone before us, now challenges and calls us to live our lives in response to him and in imitation to his life. Now listen to what Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. The Christian life looks like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Church, if we're going to remember and get back to our first love, then our path to get there will be crowded with opportunities to become like Jesus, as Paul writes here. Right? Christianity and following Christ is not such a simple, easy, and glamorous path. It's riddled with opportunities that are humbling, that, that, are, that are opportunities to deny ourselves, to live lovingly and sacrificially and generously toward others. And it's all in response to who Jesus is. Paul had spent three years with the believers in Ephesus, and he knew who they were as a congregation, right? This is not like Paul came and did a month-long revival and spoke the word of God at these people and then moved on to another village. Paul lived among the people of Ephesus. He lived among the believers there in Ephesus. He loved them. He cared deeply for them. He knew them, Right? He knew very clearly how important it was to remind them and encourage them to hold on to their devotion, not just to the Lord, but also to one another, right? To, to, to challenge them and encourage them to not only pay attention to the care of their own soul, but to be paying attention to the care of those around them within the community of faith. He, he knew that there would be wolves, fierce wolves that would enter into the community of faith, who would try to lead believers astray. There, there would even become people within the own, their own community of Ephesus who would selfishly want to garner followers for themselves and so try to teach a different truth, a different doctrine, and lead people astray. Paul knew this. See, wolves... They divide and scatter the flock. They destroy sheep. They're, they're, they're actually one of Scripture's favorite ways of describing false teachers whose goal is to lead followers astray, right? Wolves divide and conquer and destroy a flock of sheep. But not us, church. Right? I mean, it, it sounds naive for me to say not us. But I'm saying that aspirationally. Let's not let that happen to us, church. Why? Because we're committed to being unified around the word of God. The very thing at the root of our unity in Christ is the word of God. Truth itself, which binds us together. See, it's the word of God we want to hear, right? Not the word of Pastor Dan, not what's on Pastor Dan's heart and mind this day. 
Not what feels safest to proclaim from the pulpit or, or, or easiest to proclaim from the pulpit. The word of God informs us. God's word shapes us. God's word encourages us. God's word reminds us of what's most true in Jesus Christ. And so in the next few months, we're going to spend a considerable amount of time in God's word, specifically in chapter 4 of Ephesians, which, which is saturated on, on Paul teaching on the unity of the church. And not just how we're unified, but how we need one another. As Pastor Moses said, when, when he welcomed us into this time of worship, we need, we all have a, a role to play. We need one another. Listen, if you're not engaged with and, 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 and working alongside of the church, I'm not going to grow as much as I, I should, right? We need one another. And that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians Chapter 4, the very word of God, which we're going we're gonna to allow to be the root, the anchor of our season in these next few months. Paul, Paul writes this. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Christianity is not at all about getting saved from our sin and caring only for our own well-being. In fact, in coming to Christ, we actually put that old self to death, don't we? We die to our old selves. We die to that self-will that, that, that's driven by the desires of our flesh, the want for acceptance and, and, and belonging and, and, and popularity and power and and, and, and comfort and, and satisfaction, we put to death that old self that's driven by the flesh and live to the new self. We, we live to our new self that's significantly focused on the care of the church of God, the people of God, the community of faith, which God purchased with his own blood, right? When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for your sins. He died to purchase the people of God back from darkness and evil. I know we, 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 we sing songs where, and, and we, we, we worship God at Easter and we focus on this time where we, we realize that he died with my sin in mind. Yes, and his death was for the people of God. God cares for the church of God. And so our, our commitment, our focus, our care should not just be on the priority of the care of our own soul, but also for the very church that Jesus died for. And that should be a great reminder for us that it's God's church, not, not mine, not Pastor Dan's, not yours, but God's. See, Paul reminds us all this morning that, that we've been called to a life of caring for and cultivating the church that Jesus established through his death and resurrection. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we care and cultivate that, that church community? And how do we do it together? Well, it's quite simple, really. 
Look at verse 32 of our passage. And Paul tells them, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In the Greek, Paul literally says, I entrust you to God and to his word. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm entrusting you to the place that you truly need to be. And you know what? This is really good news for us all, actually, to hear. Paul's not saying to the elders, hey guys, listen, I've slaved these past three years and built this church with my own blood, sweat, and tears. I've carried this church on my shoulders to make it what it is today. Now I'm, I'm handing it off to you, so, so don't mess it up, right? Don't mess up the work I've been putting in. I'm taking off, it better be, you better handle it well, right? No, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not Paul's encouragement to the church. It's not his encouragement to us. Instead, Paul's saying, guess what, church? This church was never mine. This congregation, this gathering of believers of Jesus was never mine to hold and to, to grip tightly and, 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 and to force in a direction. It was always God's church. And so Paul's saying, I, I'm going to relinquish any false sense of control or, or ownership, and, and I'm handing you over to God who is trustworthy and faithful. Church, you're not able to build, up, uh, build yourselves up in your own strength. You're, you're not able to give yourselves the inheritance that is only God's to give. So what does Paul do? He says, I'm going to entrust you to the one who is able. I mean, this was always true, not just from that moment on after Paul said that, but his encouragement to the elders at Ephesus was to remind them, you have always been God's. And God has always been the one who is able to build you up. God has always been the one who is able to give you an inheritance among the saints. Not the pastor in the pulpit. Not the elders that are leading the congregation. This has always been God's church and God's power at work among his people. Paul will basically say this very thing when, when he writes the, the letter to the church in Ephesus later on. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God is able. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, not Pastor Dan at work within us, the power of God at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's glory is seen most clearly when the church realizes, recognizes that, that they are a part of something that is not owned or controlled by human hands, but is under the faithful, loving, and powerful guidance of the one who called them together, God himself. God is able to do far more abundantly among us than all we could ask or imagine See, church, it's God's word that's at work within us. It's God's word that, that is transforming us and renewing us. And this is all going to be for his glory as we, as we cooperate with him, as we go along with him. 
But guess what? This only happens when we make the care of our soul and and the care of the rest of the flock a priority. How? By entrusting one another to God and to his word. Right? I don't have the solutions to make us better. God does. You don't have the solutions to, to build yourself up or to build up the person next to you up in the Lord or to give the person next to you an inheritance among the saints. Only God does. And so we as a church family will submit ourselves and, and entrust ourselves to the power of God's, work, God's word at work within us. Trinity, pay, pay attention to yourselves. Pay close attention to yourselves. But, but also pay attention to the care of those around you in the body of Christ. Right? This is not my church. It's not your church. It's, it is and always has been God's church. It's not defined by who the preacher in the pulpit is. It's de- defined by the one who the preacher proclaims, namely Jesus Christ. And so this week... I'm going to prayerfully and intentionally step away from producing and ministering for a season so that I can be reminded of God's calling on my life and renewed in my soul. Unlike Paul, I know that I'm going to see this congregation again. And so like Paul, I entrust you to God. And I entrust you to his word, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints Far better than I could. Far, far better than I could. Right? So Trinity, allow me to close our time and to leave you all with these final words, these last challenges from Paul until we worship again on Sunday mornings. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Trinity, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this, this is your church, and I know you love it so much. I know you love your people. This is not an organization. You look at your church, and you see faces and names and lives. Lord, give us the courage and the strength to be faithful to you, to prioritize the care of our own soul, and also the care of those around us in the flock. Lord, help us to realize the role that each of us play in your church. Help us not only to understand your your love for your church, but also your wisdom in how you've built your church and called your church and invite us to follow you in faith. Lord, I ask that you, your spirit would have his way among us. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, transform us, Lord, 
as we gather week in and week out, day in and day out around your word, your truth. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus, who made a way for us to be a part of this church. May it all be for his glory, for your glory, we pray in his name. Amen.